Welcome to this episode of the Harley Access Network podcast. I'm Helen Leal Green. The Harley Access Network levels the playing field for high achieving, low income Africans to access international higher education opportunities. The series is about conversations between Harley Access Network members, students and friends. I'm joined again today by my three co-presenters. Hi, I'm Janet Botha. Hello. I'm Quinson Amonje. Hello, my name is Habiba Malinga. And this time we're going to focus on a conversation with Habiba. Over to you, Habiba. Thank you, Helen. Um, my name is Habiba Malinga. I am a recent graduate from the University of California, Berkeley. I have completed a degree in business administration and now I'm back home in Kampala uh, to start my career here. That sounds, sounds really exciting. I know while you were at Berkeley, you did quite a lot of work with the Model United Nations there. And I wondered if you wanted to talk through a little bit about, about not only what you did, but what, what were the key um, discussion points that you had? Because it kind of links back a little bit to some of Quincy's um, discourse series that she's doing. Absolutely. Uh, so for me, when I decided to go to university in the US, I knew that there was a little bit of difference in how we talk about Africa there and probably in the UK too. Uh, so I knew that one of the better ways to talk about relations like that, like international relations, is to join a club that was, you know, mainly about international relations and try and insert the African voice in there. Uh, so within the Berkeley Model United Nations, I I was in different committees at first. So I was part of the UNFCC. So when uh, Janet was talking about climate change, I, I, just, I was just remembering, uh, thinking about mitigation of uh, climate change and probably geoengineering, maybe to support uh, the Sahel region, for instance. So we discussed topics such as those and the military aid and all those things. And with every single committee that I was on, you know, because it's the United Nations kind of model thing, I would like, I, I would always talk to the person who is researching or the research that we did. I would make sure that our voice is heard. And finally, as my last act, I, was, I decided to become the head chair for the African Union. So I picked two very specific topics that were close to me. I'm a little bit political, so <laughs> I chose to do the Africa-China uh, relationship and trying to figure out the path to, fina uh, to financial independence for African countries. And then my second topic uh, was on governance and how, uh, uh, how, how different governance systems aid in political transitions. So just thinking about every factor from how colonial colonialism may be, you know, again, we do not blame anybody, <laughs> like intervention, <laughs> but thinking about how the structures that were left are either helping or not helping Africa govern itself. So with the second topic, uh, we're thinking about pseudo-democracies, we're thinking about dictatorships, we're thinking about is democracy really the way for African countries? You know, such mm -hmm. questions and allowing uh, American students to grapple with these kind of questions was kind of the highlight for me. And, you know, getting them to think as if they were the dictators themselves, because essentially in the African Union, it's, you know, it's sat on by heads of state. So you could have the likes of Mugabe. I mean, he's dead now, but you could like you could have all these different dictators, or or these different you know 
uh, leaders who believe in democracy, all sitting together and talking about issues within the continent. So it was really crucial to allow them, you know, uh, embrace whatever governance system that was in their countries and actually talk about all these issues. Uh, it was a pretty fun weekend. It was three days uh, straight, you know, talking about, you know, the Africa-China relationship and the governance. And kids would be like, oh, my God, what if what if the Chinese get killed within, <laughs> within Nigeria because of coronavirus? And, you know, getting them to think about all these issues that are pertinent to the continent. And, you know, it's one of those things where you think about and like, okay, China is in Africa. That's a given. It's something we can't discuss about. We're not saying, oh, now they, can we allow them to come in? They're already here. Uh, but how do we ensure that the relationship that's built is beneficial for both parties? Because we do not want a repetition of either colonialism or the way maybe the U.S., supposedly exploits resources within, you know, <laughs> within the continent. So it's all those very sensitive topics, but thinking about them in terms of like diplomacy, how do you build all these different uh, relationships that allow people to advance eventually? Sorry, that was a mouthful <laughs> of what I did with MUN, but... <laughs> but that's, that's incredible, isn't it? Um, it's kind of... Um, it's quite interesting thinking about the lack of data that Janet was talking about and then the role of you know, the African Union or the, the UN in getting more data and accessible data and the World Bank as well. They, they have quite a lot of data availability, don't they? So, um, Did you struggle with getting data for your discussions? Not quite, because a lot of what we discussed in was more qualitative and right. thinking about um, thinking about like themes or like thinking about the news and how some of these things are portrayed and how people mm -hmm. would may, maybe like the sentiment. Uh, I think most the most we used in terms of data was thinking um, about like the money that's being that's coming in and how much trade has increased. You know, just just those main main data points. But we did not really go in depth in terms of like okay, how has this specific uh, region changed since then? Because those, those things feel more like qualitative than quantitative at this time. Uh, and I, actually, I guess that's the issue, right? We do not have enough data to be like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be allowing as much, um, as much access to China in our regions. Maybe we should, you know, it's it's all those things and I, and I guess that's actually one of the reasons I really wanted to do this topic because it doesn't feel like a lot of people are talking about it they talk about it passively I don't know what feeling you get um, Helen or Janet or Quincy uh, how what 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 kind of discussions you've had about this specific thing for now it feels like just a few people are talking about the Africa China relationship yet it's something that's very uh, present and I don't know. It it kind of worries me a lot uh, that mm -hmm. we don't we don't have that kind of uh, yeah. access to information. I would say, uh, like mm. Quincy and okay. I, I have have actually mm -hmm. talked about the China Africa relationship. I think a couple of times, and specifically the China Zambia mm -hmm. relationship. And it's quite interesting to hear that you know this is something that you've been talking about with a lot of different people, 
and having you know interesting discussions on so i'd just like to you know find out to hear from you like some of the main points that you think stood out in those discussions and really just where you think this relationship is going and you know some of the ways that or some of the things that we can put in place or that our governments can put in place in order to you know make sure this relationship is beneficial for both parties like you mentioned that's a really, really good point. It's actually insane because we uh, used Zambia as a case study for the <laughs> for that relationship. I'm not surprised. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I should probably just share this case study we wrote up and hopefully can correct me if I'm wrong in some of those things. But we did find that uh, some of the projects that have been done, I think the thing that's, that stood out the most is much of the labor is brought yeah. from China, which kind of denies the population where this development or economic um, whatever is happening, an opportunity to participate in that mm-hmm. economy. So it, it felt like across the board, uh, Africans were excluded from that kind of uh, development. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the main concern that came up in, my, in our discussions. Uh, the other thing that came up majorly was thinking about debt, uh, <laughs> you know, thinking about that. And for me, I think as a finance student, that's one of the things that worries me. I know debt is good, but also it can be detrimental in terms mm-hmm. of like resources. They can, it's easy to hold uh, a country's resources hostage if they are unable to pay. Uh, so mm-hmm. like Uganda, for instance, right? We just, we discovered oil, I think six years ago. And the major players of the people who are investing the most are China, I think, uh, Shell or Total, and the government of Uganda. So it, it feels like there is things that are happening, but not enough people are talking about it. But also that means that a lot of money that is brought into the country either is not accounted for in terms of like the population itself in thinking about, okay, how are our people actually participating in either oil refining or all these things, how making sure that the investments that are coming in are really benefiting our people. So I I think that's one of the main takeaways is that we need to find a ground where we lay lay the law that, you know, if you're coming to do business, if you're coming to, if you're building roads, say in Uganda, employ, employ, employ us on all different levels do not just employ those people who are going to carry the stones onto the road or whatever employ our engineers employ our petroleum engineers you're putting all this this in place would need to be able to say that even though we are not coming in as as strong in terms of finances so i think that's one of the bigger worries is because we are coming in as a sub or you know partner it always feels like we at a disadvantage and uh, it will be interesting to see whether these discussions can continue and put pressure on our governments to demand for more participation in terms of economic development mm-hmm. or you know, financial independence yeah. eventually. And yeah, I also have a question. Uh, so mine is, do you really think it's possible for African countries to ensure that their relations with China are mutually beneficial in the face of corruption? Because like most of the times, uh, you know, the big checks come in and 
I don't think our leaders take the time to evaluate the impact that that is going to have on the country and decide whether they want to pull through with it, depending on its effects. But simply because they're receiving the big check and it's landing in their hands, they just say yes. So do you think that is possible now? Quintus, that is a great question because that's the main challenge. It doesn't matter which kind of money uh, is coming in, whether it's for coronavirus or anything. It's always, there's a worry that money is going to be used for other things. Yeah. It's always a worry that the money that's coming in is not, there have been so many cases in, in Uganda where uh, either the EU or whatever has has threatened to sue the country if they don't produce a certain amount of money or evidence or where it has gone. So corruption is real. And mm -hmm. my hope with doing the African Union is that, uh, as, as, a, as a committee, is that we kind of try to think about how these different regional bodies hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, so thinking about say, the East African community, how are they holding each other accountable with the money that they're coming? I mm -hmm. feel like if we do organize um, like negotiations in terms of like regions versus a country, mm -hmm. we probably have more power in terms of negotiating one, the terms of uh, debt, but also thinking about accountability. I think that's the main issue right now. Yeah. We need to be able to have a, a, an accountability council and it has to be regional because it feels like our countries may have failed in terms of corruption mm. and maybe they could you know hold each other accountable um mm. maybe set up independent people but that's also really hard right because the african yeah. union is threatened by heads of state so yeah it is it is it is it is insane but if we do it regionally maybe because okay. even within within the East African region, you have Kagame who is very serious about this thing. So he probably hold Museveni accountable. Who knows? They mm. they kind of come from the same. They cut from the same cloth somehow. So we we have to keep thinking about ways of holding our leaders accountable and tracing the money. Really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. That, it's such a such an interesting discussion. There is a very interesting podcast that um, that is a weekly podcast called China in Africa and wow. it's on stitcher and i listen to that not maybe not every week but i do listen to it because i find uh, they have some very interesting discussions it's put together by i think a chinese journalist and uh, an academic at Pitts university in south africa um but it, they they put together quite it's quite a balanced opinion and they show some of the very positive things that mm -hmm. the relationship um brings mm. which is often quite different from what you read in the press mm. um, Absolutely. so, um, so I'd, yeah any any listeners i would say, suggest you look at that mm. and one of one of our our moon students at the moment is doing his extent uh, reflective essay on on china and africa relation or china mm. and zambia relationship um so i think it's it's very much a hot topic but people still don't know how to talk about it and mm. so i think it's really good that it's brought to everybody's attention yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's crazy it's yeah. quite interesting i did i did actually write the topic synopsis for this with a chinese student so we, we tried oh, to okay. <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> it was it was it was I, I i and we talked about doing this two years before we decided to actually uh do the research together so he 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 allowed me to you know 
think the way the Chinese thought about mm. the relationship too. Mm. So, which is really important, I guess, when you're going yes. into these topics. Yeah, because it's I know, I know, I know, I know it's coming in hot about you know the corruption and the imbalance of it. But you know, it, it's also it, it's very very interesting to hear their side of the story and yeah. why they are trying to come into Africa, especially the individuals. That's the interesting part. Yeah, forget the Chinese government individuals immigrating into you know into into Africa to do business and how they settle yeah. in and integrate within Africa. It's pretty been interesting. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree that it it certainly has its positive sides. Uh, like the relationship does bring some good to Africa in a way, but I think the mm-hmm. the like for Zambia the most um like the only thing that we dread about this relationship is the fact that. You know the government prioritizes the other to its to the native, and uh, to the natives, and mostly they are the ones that are you know treated mm. better than the actual citizens. So I think that's where the problem lies. Mm. It's who to prioritize, who to protect, and, and yeah, I think it's coloniality, <laughs> coloniality, exactly. Yeah. People like, from yeah. outside much better than we treat our own. We trust people. even when it comes to investments or creating businesses within Africa, it feels easier for a person coming in from the UK or the US or all these other countries, or even Mm -hmm. India, to set up a business within Uganda than me as the citizens. It's it's like so much, it's so much harder to do that. It's as if we don't really trust each other to do better. I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's sad. The topic of priorities is definitely like one that's hot at the moment. And like you've mentioned, Habiba, mostly the projects that are in China are all kind of infrastructure projects. And being a civil engineering student myself, I would say this is a topic that's really close to home. And I remember uh, mm-hmm. I was I had an internship back home in Zambia when I was home over the summer. And I remember talking to like my manager and he was telling me, you know, how the whole imbalance is really like um, it's really like in place right now. And how all these small kind of consulting firms are really experiencing that impact because Mm. they are not really prioritized and even those small companies that do take part in those projects there really is no accountability so much that even those people Mm. who are in like you know managerial positions don't even prioritize like Zambian like small workers so even their work conditions Mm. are terrible and it's it's really there has to be accountability like Habiba said and in as much as the relationship has its positives there still is a lot of work that should be done and it's something that we should look into mm. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i try okay. not to think about it the same way sorry it sounds like a long conversation you know how how uh, in school we are kind of taught that there were some positives to uh europeans coming to africa mm. i don't want to think about it that way i'm trying really not to think about it that way because we need to have better we need yeah, to not please. just have the, the small benefits of okay we have business that's good enough we need to yeah. be able to say okay we are really benefiting from this relationship yeah. as we should be you know equally yeah. as the as china is doing anyway that'll be my last point Alex, sorry. <laughs> yeah i mean just before habiba closes uh you know her topic uh there is yeah, something exactly. that i saw that was very interesting so i was having a look at uh like lusaka's stock exchange and uh, there was this um um sort of like mini article uh on it where most we have like zambians who are in the finance sector trying to 
you know, I don't know if it's beg or plead, which sounds insane, for the government to allow Zambians to buy shares in the newly founded gold mine because their priority is to open it up to foreign investment. So it's like we they really do not trust their own people to even invest in something that is really Zambian. So it's 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 really sad that we have to go on and on and on and on to plead beg for our own resources. It's so sad. Yeah, the gold mine has definitely wow. been a hot topic That's, in Zambia from the been. time it was yeah. discovered. <laughs> and I think a lot of people have really had like a lot of opinions and people want to invest mm. in that. And I would say most Zambians really see this as like an opportunity for the economy to actually yeah. recover. And so yeah. for it to be something that is opened up to people outside, everyone mm. is really worried and thinking that, you know, the people in, in power are not really making wise decisions. And it's really become clear that they're not prioritizing the natives. Yeah. Yes. Wow. OK, that's well, thank you, Habiba. That's raised, <laughs> raised a lot of a lot of interesting <laughs> topics within within that conversation. If you want to know more about Harley Access Network, then please follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, or visit our website www.harleyaccess.org. Thank you for listening and please tune in again for our fortnightly episodes. Bye bye.